We turn now to our scripture reading, which this morning is Revelation chapter 8. We'll read the whole chapter, Revelation chapter 8, and the text is the second part of the chapter, beginning at verse 6 through the end of verse 13. Let us pray as we come to read the word of God. Father in heaven, we come before you again as we turn to your word, and we do so because we want to acknowledge and be clear about the fact in our own minds and before you that we need your illumination, we need the work of your spirit to apply your word to us. We have a great miracle in the word, we acknowledge it to be your word, authoritative and completely inerrant, a great treasure, and yet for us to, to profit from it, we are not independent, we are dependent. And so we pray that you would help us in listening, in receiving, in believing, and responding to you and to what you are saying to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Revelation chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was, was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense and the, with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet and there followed rain, hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, <clears throat> and all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood, and a, th a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the Sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, <clears throat> so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from 
shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an angel crying with a loud, an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. This is the word of the Lord. So this morning we continue our series in the sermon of sermons on the book of Revelation. We will consider the word of the Lord to us this morning from the second half of chapter 8. And these verses deal with what happens on the earth when the first four trumpets are blown. Let me remind you first of how these verses fit in with the rest of the book of Revelation. Uh, The book of Revelation was written to the early church to give comfort and to urge faithfulness, endurance, in the light of persecution and in the light of other challenges that it was facing. Because it is inspired by God and included in the Bible, it is addressed to the church of every age as well. The reality on earth that it addresses is spiritual warfare, which may be persecution, but includes all aspects of the church's struggle with the forces of evil in in the world. The great comfort of the book of Revelation is that God is on the throne in heaven, that Jesus Christ is next to that throne from which position he is implementing the plan of God for the victory over sin and evil, that he has won by his death, his life, death, and resurrection. One way that is often used to summarize the meaning, the purpose, the, the theme of the book of uh, Revelation is simply the words, Jesus wins. The book of Revelation is highly symbolic. It is a type of literature called apocalyptic, which describes things that go on on the earth, in the light of heaven, and in the light of God and what he is doing to bring his kingdom. It is actually about the relationship between the things that happen on earth and the God who dwells in heaven. The key picture in the book of Revelation that the book gives us is that of Jesus Christ as the lamb who was slain but who is alive forevermore with the scroll of God's plan in his hands. The things that happen on earth happen as a result of the Lamb opening the seals of the scroll. We've covered the opening of the first six seals in earlier sermons. The opening of the seventh seal begins a new sequence of judgments that are unleashed as the seven angels blow seven trumpets. So we have seven seals earlier on. We have a sequence of seven trumpets, and later there will be a sequence of seven bowls. Now it's important that we remember that these are not intended to be understood chronologically. The things that happen on earth as the seals are unsealed and as the trumpets are blown are things that happen uh, throughout the period between the first and second comings of Christ. The point of all of these symbolic pictures is that 
the terrible things that happen on earth, such as wars and and natural disasters, that they happen because they are part of the plan of God for the salvation of his people and the defeat of all opposition to his reign. And that is a great comfort for believers. The The book of Revelation gives us biblical perspectives on all the calamities that happen on the earth, and the heart of that perspective is that none of them happen apart from the plan of God. Well, let's look at the verses that are before us this morning. First, verses 6 and 7. Now the seven angels who had, seven, who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, And these were blown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Remember that this is highly symbolic. If you interpret it literally, you get it all wrong. What we see here is destruction on earth on a massive scale. One of the keys to interpreting the book of Revelation, and, and these symbols in particular, is to remember that the, the, this book and these symbols were addressed first to a specific church or churches living toward the end of the first century. Other than the, the passages referring to the end of the world and the new heavens and the new earth, the final judgment, other than those things, the symbolism was meant to refer to things that the people living in the early church were experiencing. And if we think about it in that way, we're, we're kept from being too literal and from that, that urge to be too literal in our interpretation. And so what the symbolism related to the blowing of the first trumpet refers to is things like the devastation caused by large storms and by drought, large-scale disasters on the earth. These have happened throughout the ages. They continue to happen today. We can think about the devastation caused by hurricanes and by droughts or forest fires or many other things, earthquakes, for instance. We can apply the same principles to what happens when the second, third, and fourth angels blew their trumpets. When the second angel blew his trumpet, something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. The sea becomes blood. A third of the living creatures die, and a third of the ships are destroyed. So the disasters unleashed in connection with the blowing of the second trumpet are associated with the sea. The disasters unleashed in connection with the blowing of the third trumpet are associated with inland waters, and the disasters uh, unleashed in connection with the blowing of the fourth trumpet are associated with the sun and the moon and the stars and light. The whole creation is affected, the earth, the sea, the inland waters, and the heavens, the stars, the sun and the moon and the stars, the heavenly bodies. All of these symbols together refer to the various natural disasters that happen on the earth. And it's a misunderstanding of this kind of literature to try to be more specific than that. Here's how Richard Phillips sums up how we are to interpret these first four trumpets. He says, 
We remember that Revelation is not a picture book, uh, not a puzzle book, but a picture book. The general impression is therefore most important. Here, the four trumpets bring plagues on the created order, the earth, the seas, the streams, and the stars and moon. This is precisely what a sober view of history shows with vast portions of the human race suffering and dying at any one time because of tragedies originating from every part of the creation, end quote. So what this extreme symbolism does is reveal the meaning of what we think of as natural disasters. And we're to take the graphic imagery of these verses and understand hurricanes and famines and all manner of disasters in the light of them. So instead of thinking in terms of literal fulfillment, we are to interpret the natural disasters in our world as the fulfillment of these graphic images and symbols. This is what is really going on. These verses give us the meaning of what we think about as we think of as natural disasters. Now that the term natural disaster, it's kind of hard to avoid. There's no problem using it as long as we understand that there's no such thing as nature operating independently of God. And this passage shows us what is really going on in what we think of as natural disasters. And it's really important that we do not set aside the apocalyptic imagery just because we understand that it's not to be taken literally. I think it's tempting that we, we, we understand, we come to see that, that, uh, that we realize that We're not to expect literally a great mountain to come bursting out of heaven and falling into the sea. But what we are to do is to see, to keep these graphic pictures in mind when we think about the natural disasters that happen on a regular basis. These these symbols and this imagery, this type of literature, it's in the Bible for a reason. The impression that they make on us when we reflect on them is the impression that God is seeking to provoke in us. These terrifying imageries convey truth. When natural disasters happen, these verses and others like them convey to us the spiritual truth of what is really going on. God is using this symbolism to reveal to us a reality that we cannot see with our physical eyes, but which is no less true because it is visible and because the truth is conveyed to us using these uh, over-the-top symbols. My point at this point is simply that we're, we're not to take these, just because we don't take these symbols literally does not mean that they are unimportant. We must allow the dramatic imagery to impact us. We must realize that they are speaking to us truth about the real meaning, the real significance of natural disasters that are experienced 
in this world on a regular basis. And so when we hear of a natural disaster, we are to see it through the lens of these pictures. So let's look now at what this passage is teaching us about the meaning of natural disasters. We begin by answering the question that, uh, answering this question by looking first at verse 13. Then I looked and I heard an angel crying with a loud voice as it flew overhead, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Woe, 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 the eagle says. Woe is a term of warning of God's punishment on unrepentant sinners. Isaiah 3.11 is an example. Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with him. The woe, woe, woe in our text is announcement of further dramatic judgments to fall on an unbelieving world, using the words of one author. Woe in the Bible is the opposite of blessing. The word of warning, of punishment upon sinners who do not repent. The term those who dwell on the earth in the book of Revelation refers to the unbelieving world. Verse 13 makes it clear that the things that happen when the angels blow the trumpets are God's judgments on an unbelieving world. Verse 13 looks ahead to the blowing of the last three trumpets, but in doing so it makes clear that the first four trumpets also are unleashing God's judgment on unrepentant sinners. And what that means for us is that we are to understand natural disasters as God's judgment on an unbelieving world. Now, natural disasters have different meanings for the people of God. God promises to work all things together for the good of his people. And natural disasters are part of that. They are to be understood in that light when it comes to the people of God. There's no question that God's people suffer in this life, but the meaning of that suffering is entirely different. That's the significance of the end of Romans 8, that nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. But this passage makes it clear that as far as the unbelieving world is concerned, natural disasters are a form of punishment. They are anticipations of God's final judgment on the wicked. And this passage is addressed to God's people, assuring them that natural disasters are God's judgment on those who dwell on the earth, on those who persecute them, on on those who remain opposed to God and his cause in the world. Now, to get the biblical balance, to get the biblical balance, we have to keep in mind that Jesus has sent his church into all the world with a gospel of forgiveness for those who repent and believe the gospel. And we have to remember that this same God that we're talking about here in terms of judgment has gone to great lengths 
at great cost to himself for the salvation of sinners. He sent his beloved son to suffer and die to pay the penalty for sin. The son sent the reality, the son sent the church into all the world with the message of salvation. And yet the the reality is that there are many who reject the message. There are many who refuse to repent and return to the Lord. There are many who are settled in their opposition to God and his people. There are many who persecute the church, and Revelation refers to them as those who dwell on the earth. And there is a lot in the book of Revelation about God's judgments on those who dwell on the earth. This passage is teaching us that natural disasters are part of the way that God punishes the wicked and punishments in time, during this time, are anticipations, foreshadowings of the ultimate punishment that is to come at the end of the age. Now the passage, as we look at some of the details, gives us some more insight into how these judgments are to be understood, fills out the picture for us. There is, first of all, the significance of the uh, trumpets. Trumpets are used in various ways in Scripture, but the way that fits with this context is that trumpets are used in battle. And the most significant instance of this in the Old Testament that gives insight into this text is the story in which God delivers Jericho into the hands of Israel at the beginning of the conquest. You'll remember that God had sent Israel into the promised land to defeat the people who were living there. It was God's way of punishing those people for their sins. And early in that story, we are told about how God defeated Jericho. And it involved trumpets. Jericho had strong walls. God told the army to march around the city six days in a row. Seven priests were to go before the army, blowing their trumpets. On the seventh day, the priests were to lead the procession seven times, around the city blowing their trumpets, and then all the people were to shout. Israel did as God commanded, and the walls of the city crumbled. This story of Jericho and the trumpets and the walls coming down, all of that is part of the story of the conquest, Israel's conquest of the promised land, and it foreshadows the church's conquest of the whole world. In fulfillment of this theme in the New Testament, much of that conquest happens through the preaching of the gospel as people are converted and brought into the kingdom. But as the book of Revelation teaches us, the coming of God's kingdom involves both the salvation of sinners and God's judgment upon the impenitent, and that's the significance of the trumpets in this passage, in our text passage, in the light of the Old Testament background. And it's significant, too, in this context that the people of God have a role to play in the judgment aspect of the coming of God's kingdom. 
in the story of the walls falling down in Jericho. God brought the walls down. He won the victory, but the people were involved in the passage that we're looking at this morning. The trumpets are in heaven. God is the one who sends the judgments. But as we have seen a number of times in the book of Revelation, he does that in answer to the prayers of his people. The first five verses of this very chapter make it clear that these trumpets are blowing in response to the prayers of God's people. So this is an important part of the biblical message. The the coming of the kingdom of God involves... the judgment on the impenitent as well as the salvation of those who believe and repent in Jesus. God's judgment on the wicked is not an insignificant theme in Scripture. It's not hidden away in a few obscure passages. It is prominent. We are in a battle. We have enemies. God and his people, his people reflecting God seek salvation for as many as possible, but many do remain impenitent and they will be punished. And we, as God's people, pray for that to happen every time we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom comes through both salvation and through judgment on the impenitent. There's another insight from this passage that fills out a little more our understanding of what's going on here. Much of the symbolism in the passage is drawn from the Exodus story, and particularly the story of the ten plagues on Egypt. You'll remember that Israel was in slavery in Egypt, They cried out to God in their suffering. God sends Moses, sending him to Pharaoh, demanding that Pharaoh let the people go. Pharaoh refuses. God sends ten plagues upon Israel, and eventually Pharaoh lets the people go. One of the plagues is a plague of fire, of hail and fire. Another one of the plagues, the river Nile Nile is turned into blood. Here in Revelation, a third of the sea becomes blood. Another one of the ten plagues involves darkness over the earth. Here in Revelation, when the fourth trumpet sounds, the heavenly bodies are struck so that a third of the world of the light was darkened. So the symbolism of the first four trumpets are drawn from the Exodus story, but also from other Old Testament passages as well. But we're just going to focus on the Exodus story in this sermon. And it's clear that the story of the ten plagues in Egypt form an important part of the background here. And thinking of this text in the light of the Exodus story helps us to understand its significance, and that that's how the Bible works. So in the Exodus story, the people of God are being persecuted. They cry out to God for deliverance. God sends plagues upon Egypt. In the book of Revelation, the people of God are being persecuted. They cry out for justice. And God responds with plagues that we read about in these verses. 
Much of the symbolism here is intended to recall the Exodus plagues, and so understanding God's purpose for the Exodus plagues helps us in, and fills out our understanding of this passage in the book of Revelation, which in turn fills out our understanding of the significance of the plagues that God sends about upon his enemies today. In the Exodus story, God makes it very, very clear why he sent the ten plagues upon Egypt. Listen to what God says in the following verses. First, verse, Exodus 7, verse 5. God says, The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Verse 7, chapter 7 of Exodus, verse 17. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. And behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn to blood. Exodus 10, verses 1 and 2. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show thee signs among them, these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So we learn from God's interpretation, God's own interpretation of the plagues that he sent about Egypt is that the purpose was to demonstrate before Egypt, before Israel, and before all the world that he is the Lord. By the plagues, God demonstrated his sovereignty. Through them, God was demonstrating to all the world his greatness compared to the gods of Egypt. The purpose of these plagues was not the repentance of the Egyptians. God says specifically that he hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he could show his power in the plagues that Egypt and Israel and the whole world would know that he is the Lord. Exodus 9.16, God says to Pharaoh, "But, But for this purpose I have raised you up, to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. The connection with the book of Revelation intentionally makes that the book of Revelation intentionally makes with the Exodus story means that we are to understand modern day plagues and disasters also in the light of the Exodus story. There's reason to believe on the basis of other passages that part of the reason for these calamities is to call the wicked to repentance. Repentance. And we have looked at that in earlier sermons. But in this passage, because of the intentional connection to the Exodus story, the purpose is not repentance. God hardens the hearts of the wicked, who at the same time, like Pharaoh, are hardening their own hearts, 
so that he might send these plagues that demonstrate his sovereignty, his power, and his superiority to the gods of the wicked. It's a huge part of the reason for natural disasters. It's a huge part of the reason for the current pandemic. God is saying to the whole world, I have done this that all the earth may know that I am the Lord. Paul picks up on this in Romans 9, verse 17. There he writes, For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. A little later in that same passage in Romans, chapter and a half later, but the the subject matter continues. Paul sums up and he says to the church at Rome, Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided You continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. Our text this morning is about the severity of God against unrepentant wicked through natural disasters. The connection that John, the human author, intentionally makes with the plagues of the Exodus teach us that the current day Natural disasters are judgments of God upon the unrepentant and that their great purpose is that all the world may know that he is the Lord. God is demonstrating his power and his superiority to the gods of the wicked. Certainly the meaning, or part of the meaning at least of the current Pandemic. We've seen in earlier sermons that there are many different themes of Scripture that relate. But this is one of them. The pandemic is the result of one of the trumpets blowing in heaven. The pandemic has shown and is showing the power of God and the weakness of the gods of the world before the power of God the wicked trust in science and medicine and the like. But the pandemic is showing that the things in which the wicked place their trust are as nothing before the power of God. doesn't mean that God, by God's grace as time progresses that science and medicine will not help us. But it does mean that by... Uh, But, but in the pandemic, God is showing us just a little of what he is able to do. And he is showing us powerfully how weak the gods of the wicked are before the overwhelming power of God and his wrath. This is just a little hint of what God can do. He's done this with his little finger as it were, and the whole world is in turmoil. 
the cosmic significance of what happens when the first four angels blow their trumpets shows us the kinds of things that happen when God comes in his judgments upon the wicked. Shows us this in, in symbolic form. Hail and fire mixed with blood thrown upon the earth, burning up a third of the trees and all the green grass. A great mountain burning with fire thrown onto the sea, which turns it to blood and a third of the living creatures die. Great star falling from heaven, blazing like a torch and a third of the waters become wormwood and many people die. And the sun and the moon and the stars darken so that their light is diminished by a third. And the angel or the eagle crying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe <clears throat> to those who dwell on the earth <coughs> at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. In other words, if you think this is bad, you ain't seen nothing yet. That's the meaning of verse 13. If you think this is bad, you ain't seen nothing yet. And God is doing that, that all the world may know that he is the Lord. He is demonstrating his power and his glory and his wrath against the wicked who refuse to repent. And this belongs to our hope. All this is being implemented by Jesus Christ as the Lamb who was slain and who rose from the dead. This belongs to the victory that Jesus won on the cross. The cross is about the defeat of sin and evil in the salvation of sinners, but also in the destruction of the wicked. 1 John 3.8 says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Revelation 8 shows us one of the ways that he does that. So I end with just a few verses. Roman 11:22 again. Note then the kindness and severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26. At that time, his voice shook the earth. He's talking about God coming down on Mount Sinai. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised yet once more, and I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Hebrews 12, 28 through and 29. Therefore... Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Let's pray. 
our great and glorious God in heaven, we acknowledge you as as the warrior, as the one who has revealed himself in many different ways, including a warrior who fights on behalf of his kingdom, who fights against the wicked, who fights on behalf of his people. We see something of that in the verses that we looked at this morning. We worship you as that God, as the one who has revealed himself to us also, as the God who brings judgment upon the wicked. We thank you and we praise you that that is not the whole story. Otherwise, we would all be objects of your wrath and would have no hope at all. Because of Jesus Christ, there is salvation and you have been gracious to us, even as we in ourselves are no different than others. Yet you have worked miracles in us and We are grateful for that. We are grateful, too, that you are moving forward with your purpose, moving toward the consummation of all things and the final coming of your kingdom. We are grateful that it includes both the salvation of sinners and your judgments upon the wicked. We pray that you would help us to enter into these realities, that we may strive to, to bring, to keep in our minds all that you reveal about yourself, and to love you as you have revealed yourself, and to proclaim the God who is revealed in the scriptures, in the church, and in the world. In Jesus' name, amen.